Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. All right, boys and girls, we are back with another edition of the Ben Dominic Podcast brought to you by Fox News. You can check out all of our podcasts at foxnewspodcast.com. I hope that you will rate, review, and subscribe to this one and share it with a friend if you find it of interest. Today, I have a conversation with one of the long-shot presidential candidates who is trying to make it to the debate stage and also attempt to really inject a, a different tone on foreign policy than a number of the other candidates in the race. Will Hurd is a former congressman from Texas, best uh, known on the national uh, scale for uh, his past work on a number of different issues related to foreign policy and national security. Uh, someone who you know, obviously served uh, overseas uh, for America in both intelligence capacities uh, and in the military. He's someone who takes all of these issues very seriously and they're a big part of why he's running. He also is someone who's a constant critic of Donald Trump and of uh, his presence in the race. He's been booed off stages in Iowa and elsewhere uh, because of his stances. And he's someone who is taking uh, a conservative record, really. You know, he's not someone who could be categorized fairly as being a, you know, a rhino or, or a liberal Republican uh, into a fray at the same time that he's someone who's really distancing himself from a lot of the different policies of the Trump era. Will Hurd is someone who's a long shot, but it's also interesting to hear from a lot of these candidates who are in the race, despite the fact that they're not necessarily being discussed or, or well-known on the national level. Uh, and I think that with him, you also get the perspective uh, of someone who really tried to make bipartisanship work in Washington. Uh, he infamously, of course, uh, took that road trip with Beto O'Rourke back in a point where uh, O'Rourke himself was thought of as being a more moderate Democrat. The possibility of that centrism is long gone in Washington today, uh, but Will Hurd is trying to make a stand and make his voice heard uh, by a lot more people in order to try to make not just this first debate, but others as well. Will Hurd, former congressman, coming up next. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Will Hurd, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Hey, Ben, I appreciate you having me on. Looking forward to the chat. So I know that we've had a couple of conversations over the years, you know, about a lot of different things, foreign policy, uh, politics in America, you know, division and uh, and bipartisanship. Uh, and now uh, I have uh, the honor of speaking to you as a presidential candidate. Um, <laughs> and I, I just got to ask you, you know, just to, to be quite frank, why does someone run for president when they have such like low name ID? They're going to be like one or two percent in the polls. They're they're going to have to struggle and earn and climb and 
and and kind of you know grasp for everything you know in order to 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 make a run at it which is obviously not just something that you're doing right now but something others have done as well what's the rationale that goes into that i'm just legitimately curious about it sure well it, it starts with i i truly believe that we are living in complicated times and we need common sense right like i i've been lucky to have some amazing experiences whether it was serving overseas in the CIA or being in Congress or working, you know, in, in business with technology companies. And I want to make sure we leave this, this country better off. And, and the way a dark or the reason a dark horse candidate like me um, would even entertain this is because of a place like New Hampshire. Um, New Hampshire is, is, is one fifth the size of my old congressional seat. It, it, the number of people that are going to vote in it is basically a congressional race. And um, if someone can catch fire in, in New Hampshire and build an organization and be ready to scale, you can pull this off. And, and ultimately, um, I, I look at our organization as a startup. And yeah. a startup is successful if you have the right product market fit that requires you to know who your customers are, who your customers aren't. Um, simplicity is the only thing that scales. And you got to have a, a product that, that people um, are interested in, in, in purchasing. And so, so that's why I'm at this moment in time um, to, to do something that's hard. And, and don't get me wrong. What, what we're trying to do is hard, and, but it's, 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 it's necessary and worthwhile. You know, I, I think that you just said something that I think is very important to understand about New Hampshire, which is that it's a fifth the size of the congressional district that you used to represent along the border uh, there in Texas. Uh, and it, it really is astonishing how small it is. You know, I mean, I, I have conversations with people in New Hampshire when I go up there where they're saying things like, well, you know, I've only gotten to talk to Nikki Haley four times. So I need to I need to talk to her like two or three more times before I have an opinion. It, it is really quite small, uh, but it has an outsized importance. What is your strategy going to be to catch fire there? Sure. And, and, and look, what, what I appreciate about Granite Staters is they 100% understand their responsibility as first in the nation primary and they um, embrace it. And so it's, it's, it's not complicated. 302,000 plus people are going to vote in that election. Donald Trump's going to have a solid third, let's call it 30%. Uh, that's roughly 97,000 voters. Uh, so that means you got to beat 97,000 voters. And there's a, there's a number of, of places to do that. And nobody thought that a black Republican um, would be able to win in a 72% Latino congressional district. Uh, but I pulled it off. And how did I pull it off there? I showed up to places people that didn't expect me to. I talked about things that they cared about. You know, and let's take an example. I was in, I'm the only candidate that has been to northern New Hampshire. It's called Coas County. There's only going to be 7,000 people vote from that county. I recognize that of the 10 counties in, in New Hampshire, uh, it's the least populated, the least amount of voters. But guess what? You know, you start putting together votes here and there. Um, increase your name ID, spend time talking about things people care about. You know, I always get, people are always shocked when I tell them the three biggest questions I get asked is one, Ukraine. And it's some version of, should we be spending money in Ukraine? Two, I get asked about, it's some China question, like how are we going to deal with China? And then the third one, I get asked about artificial intelligence. And, and these are, now, are people asking me that stuff because, 
they know who I am? Um, I, I don't think so. I think they're legitimately asking those questions. And so, um, so, so it's, this isn't, this isn't rocket science. It's just hard. And every time we go back to New Hampshire, I was, I was just there. Um, we always have, you know, greater response. Uh, I was in a, in a diner in, in Derry, New Hampshire, Marianne's diner. And we had people from all over the state come and say, Hey, Will, we really appreciate your message. We appreciate what you're doing. And then next time they come back, they brought friends, uh, which, which also happened at that same, that same diner. So it's not rocket science, just old fashioned hard work. And we're preparing, we're, we're prepared to, to do that because that's all we've ever known how to do. So obviously in New Hampshire, there's, you know, a, a couple of other people who are making a play for being, uh, the person who's going to come in either, you know, behind uh, former President Trump or or certainly to try to elevate themselves to second. We see the numbers there where, you know, effectively, statistically, you have a tie between Chris Christie and uh, Governor Ron DeSantis. Mm -hmm. uh, those those are two people who are obviously, you know, uh, making a big run at New Hampshire. What is your strategy going to be to make sure that, you know, you are the person who's in that top three, you know, finishers uh, in and, uh, you know, speaking directly to, to the concerns of the state? Well, we're already seeing Ron DeSantis falter, right? Um, I think folks that knew him knew that was going to happen. I can tell you this, folks in, in New Hampshire uh, don't appreciate some of the things that he's been pushing, especially this this um, concentration of power in the hands of a few, um, whether you're the Republican governor in Florida or a Democratic governor in California, trying to consolidate power in the executive branch is not things that people appreciate, especially a state like like New Hampshire. Um, the, the goal is not to peak next week. The goal is not to peak the week after that. The goal is to peak later in winter. And, and that's what we're, that's what we're planning on doing. And, you know, we know who we need to talk to. We know what issues motivate them. And it's about building the organization to pull that off. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, you obviously are someone who has uh, a greater level of expertise when it comes to foreign policy mm -hmm. uh, than just about anybody in this race. You know, I think, you know, particularly, you know, in the absence of someone like Mike Pompeo running, who I thought could have probably had some success in New Hampshire. That's a state that tends to care a little bit more about that. You saw, obviously, Kelly Ayotte, uh, who is now, you know, a, a candidate in her own right, um, is, you know, someone who, uh, you know, has ma made that, you know, a signature feature of her time in the Senate. Uh, and we saw the success of a number of other candidates who've uh, leaned into that issue. What are you hearing? You, you mentioned those questions about Ukraine and China. There's a lot of different perceptions online about where Republican voters are. Sure. What are you hearing from primary voters about these different issues, what they care about and what they prioritize? Look, I, I would agree with you, and I, and I appreciate you, you characterizing that, Ben. Um, you know, I'm the only person that's actually had frontline experience um, in, in serving their country on the Republican or Democratic side. And what, what I have learned, the question that generally happens, let's take Ukraine, which is on top of mine. And I think there's a big division, as you articulated, in what we should be doing in Ukraine. And what I explain to people, and these are these are pretty you know hardcore Republicans that have voted in four of the last four Republican primaries, and I say, listen, after World War II, the United States of America built an international order that benefits us. So when we don't defend that international order, it hurts us. For five percent of the entire DOD budget. 
we've been able to dismantle the Russian military and not have to send our sons or daughters or spouses to go over there to fight. That's a pretty good deal. And if Ukraine doesn't win, then Eastern Europe gone. They're going to continue to be in the re, go back into the orbit of, of of Russia. Western Europe is going to be gone because Western Europe's going to say, "Hey, we can't trust the Americans vis a vis this new conflict with China." And and if anybody disagrees with me, just look at what what President Macron from France said um, earlier this summer. He's in Beijing speaking to a American newspaper and says, "Hey, America." Don't make France choose mm-hmm. between the United States and China because you're not going to like the option, right? So, so that's what's at, what's at play. And what's fascinating, I, ver- I get very little follow-up. And, and one of the – I asked a place once. I was like, how come nobody asked me a follow-up question? And they said, well, nobody's explained it that way uh, before, <laughs> and that makes a whole lot of sense. Um, the, the, other thing, the other big question I get is, is border, border security. And what we are seeing on the northern border, the northern border is is starting to become a problem as well. So the last 10 months, the number of apprehensions the northern border has had is larger than the number of apprehensions for the entire northern border for the last nine years combined. That's nuts. Mm -hmm. Now, that that the, the, the aggregate number is still nowhere near as bad as it is on the southern border. So people are asking about border security. People are asking about why isn't the Mexican government helping more on this issue? They're asking that question. And the so, third part yeah, – no, yeah, go, go ahead. No, and the third part, I do get asked a lot of questions about artificial intelligence, and 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 that's not just in New Hampshire because sixty-five percent of Americans are worried that AI is going to take their jobs. You know, I I had served on the board of of OpenAI, the creators of ChatGPT. I wrote the first national strategy for artificial intelligence when I was in Congress, and I held the first hearing on AI in all of Congress. And and so I get a lot of questions on how is this going to impact my business or my job? How do I make sure my kids and my grandkids are ready for this revolution? And so these are the the broader questions that I get. And and I love it because these are things I love talking about. Uh, Well, I probably would have asked you just, you know, what prompts do you use uh, in mid-journey to get a better (laughs) uh, Donald Trump uh, doing something historical? Uh, Because (laughs) that seems to be its primary function at this point. Um, uh, I want to turn uh, to your point uh, regarding... Uh, Ukraine. The the real issue, as I see it, is that there does not seem to be a vote, a voice within the Republican coalition that is establishing what the Republican foreign policy is in a coherent way. Meaning, America first is very poorly defined. Um, and you can, you know, you can get different answers on what that looks like, depending on who you ask. And I think that, you know, for Republican voters and for independent voters, you know, who care about, uh, you know, the conflict in Ukraine, who want to see it resolved, want to see it resolved quickly, don't want it to, you know, carry on, don't want to keep spending money there, but are also, you know, I mean, generally, there's very deceptive poll questions asked around this question, because, <laughs> yeah. you know, because, I, my view is there's not a single Republican voter who has come up to me at any event that I've spoken at 
who says, why are we giving Putin such a hard time? Like they're, they're not, they are not in any way pro-Russia. They simply want this war to be over and they don't want to spend more money on it than we have to. And they're worried that, you know, frankly, we're just throwing uh, enormous resources at something uh, that's probably going to be, you know, corrupted in a lot of different respects. How can you uh, lay out uh, something that is, uh, you know, that amounts to a, a convincing foreign policy path uh, for the Republican Party? Because I think that it's very much needed. And, and even even a long shot dark horse Republican candidacy, I think, has the capacity to frame this in such a way uh, that people respond to. So how do you do that? Look, I, I I appreciate that, and I'd take your feedback on that. I, I would say this this is how this is how I've been trying being connected to the national security space for twenty three years of my adult life, all of my adult life. I've learned a very simple principle: your friends should love you, and your enemies should fear you. And that starts by understanding who your friends are and who your enemies aren't. We should all be concerned that Israel, our most important ally in the Middle East, is playing footsies with the Chinese government to broker a deal and a connection with, with the Saudi deep, government. Deep, deeply concerning. Right? Like, like this is – and part of this is failed diplomacy for a very long period of time. Let's take something like Cuba. Most people don't realize – that our position on Cuba is actually codified in the law. It was the Libertad Act. I want to say it was either 92 or 96. I actually think it was 92 because that would have been that would have been Bill Clinton. Um, yeah. and, and it says a Castro brother can't be in power. Now, I'm talking about the Castro brothers in Cuba, not the Castro brothers in my hometown of San Antonio. Um, and, and you have I would be to... okay with that rule also, but that's fine. <laughs> um, and, and, and so – and. But we have failed all the way back to Bill Clinton to have an executive that works with the, our allies in the Western Hemisphere on dealing with Cuba. Guess what? The Cuban population is getting screwed. If you even get outside of Havana, people are literally getting around on horse and freaking buggy, okay? And, and this is what has allowed the rest of Western Hemisphere doesn't care anymore. That's why China has been able to come in and grow their footprint, their military and intel footprint in a place like Cuba. So, so we, we, we have failed to work with our allies in those cases. We have failed with Ukraine. Imagine if we gave Ukraine the support they should have gotten back in 2014. And this notion, this, this, what I think is a, a antiquated notion of escalation, meaning if we do something, the bad guys are going to escalate. Well, we've never escalated. The Iranians are using drones, are giving the Russians drones, and the Chinese are giving technology to the Russians to use in Ukraine. Have we escalated the conflict? No. And, this, and we see what Vladimir Putin will do when he's directly challenged. When, when, when the former head of the Wagner Group was barreling down the highway towards Moscow, and <laughs> what did, what did, what did, did Putin escalate? No. He capitulated and did a deal. Now, I don't know where Prigozhin is now. I don't know if it, there's been a sighting of him. Well, um, I, I, that, that disappoints me. You, of all the presidential candidates, yeah. you should be the yeah. one most aware of yeah. where he is. Yeah. So, 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 so uh, again, so, so this is, and, and, and it comes back to if China surpasses the United States of America as a global superpower, 
Mm-hmm. This is not my opinion that they're trying to do this. This is what the Chinese government has said about themselves. If they're successful, our dollar is not going to be able to go as far as it has over the last couple of decades. Our 401ks in retirement accounts are not going to last as long as we expected. Our kids and our grandkids are not going to have access to the best jobs. Look, I like a good foreign flick every once in a while, okay? But, you know, I watch the Squid Games and, and, and have to watch the, the – but, but I don't want every – I don't want my Marvel movies to be in Mandarin with English subtitles. That is what potentially can happen if we lose this conflict. And China is four times our size, which means we got to have allies and friends, which means we got to make sure this international order that we built after World War II continues to exist. So I put it a little bit differently myself when I'm asked about this uh, and – you know, and I understand and appreciate your defense of the international order, but the way that I put it is, is, is perhaps, you know, a, a little bit more college dropout than CIA, which is, <laughs> you know, I like a world where America is in charge, and I don't trust a world where someone other than America is in charge, and if we're not going to be in charge, we can't allow communists to be in charge, and that to me is just the the fundamental aspect of this moment which is that the chinese communist party is communist <laughs> it is it is they 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 like they tell you what they are they tell you what they believe believe them when they when they you know decry us as being a hypocritical hypocritical nation and use sort of a language of crt in that alaska meeting that they had you know mm. right at the beginning of the biden administration that is it is an it is an arrow shot saying what they think about the world that they want to create. And from my perspective, you know, that's not a world that I want my kids to grow up in. I want a world where America remains in charge and whatever it takes to get there, you know, I think needs to be done. So I think this, this look, it's, it's however you say it, however you frame it, this is something that I think needs to be an animating part of it in part because the voters really are, they ask this question, I get questions about China every single time I go and give a talk anywhere. And, you know, I think that voters are very much aware of the kind of threat that they represent. So why don't we hear that from elected officials more often? Why are they bouncing off the walls about, you know, uh, whatever virtue signaling act is being done by, you know, X corporation or the like? Uh, Why aren't they addressing these more significant threats? Well, well, I'm going to answer that question, but amen, brother, to what you said. H- have you trademarked that? Am, am I allowed to? Am I allowed you to use your, all of that. Your, you no, know, that's all um, yours. Go for look, it. Look, that was, <laughs> if you see some bumper stickers that say "We want to keep America in charge," you know, you know where you know where it came from. Uh, go to hurtforamerica dot com to the merch store soon, and you may you may be seeing that. Um, listen, so so why why do we have elected officials not talking about it? One. They don't understand it. Okay. Two, it's hard. Like the conversation we just had, how many minutes was that? (laughs) It's hard to condense all that to 280 characters and to say something outrageous that gets people to click on it. But to your point, not everybody in the United States of America is doom scrolling on social media Mm -hmm. or consuming 
uh, political news. And so, 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 and, and then the polls, like the, the professional industrial political complex, they only focus on things that's easy to get people to fill out, right? And so, so that's why they, they're not talking about it. And, and that's why we need leaders that understand these issues. And look, it, it, it's, it's frustrating. And it was actually one of the reasons why I ultimately ran for Congress was, you know, I was overseas stopping terrorists and nuclear weapons proliferators. And I had a brief members of Congress and I thought they were morons. And my mother said either part of the problem, part of the solution. And so I moved back to my hometown. I hadn't lived in in 15 years and ran for Congress. Um, <laughs> and and so, so I felt like people were negating what my friends and I were putting ourselves in harm's way uh, to do. Well, let, let me, let me ask you about that for, for a moment. You, You've witnessed how much our politics has changed in the last ten years, uh, and you know I, I I have no idea why I did this, but the other day I went back and was looking at the video of you and Beto together. Sure, um, I can't remember what I was referencing, but it, it was just something like about how rapidly our politics has changed, where something like this is completely impossible. Um, there's there's sort of a, a road diverged in the in the yellow wood there with mm-hmm. with his career and and with your career. Is there any way to get back to the point where Democrats and Republicans are allowed to talk to each other? Like like forget you know doing things together or passing legislation together, but just like allowed to break bread together or spend more than an hour in a car together. Look, I actually think that's what that's what the country wants. And and let's what, what's my data to suggest that uh, my data suggests that let's go back to 2020. The lessons of the 2020 general election were don't be a jerk and don't be a socialist. Donald Trump lost and he lost because he failed to grow the Republican Party and the Republican brand to the three largest growing groups of voters, women with a college degree in the suburbs, black and brown communities and people under the age of 35. And Joe Biden had zero coattails because there were people that voted for Joe Biden for president and a Republican for the state house uh, or for the for the for Congress, because they're like these idiots that are talking about defund the police and defund ICE. You know, that's crazy talk. And, and so that was the that was the message from 2020. And then 2022, the message was candidates matter. Look, I know you, you know a little something about Arizona. Arizona <laughs> is not a Arizona is not a purple state. Okay? Arizona is a red state. And oh for, man, but it's a blue state now. It's so infuriating. Because you had the wrong candidates. Okay. Well, it's, it's crazy people, like the craziest people. Sure. So <laughs> when when Senator McCain in twenty sixteen, you know, that Senator McCain won by by almost twice as much as Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Doug Ducey won by like seventeen points. Right? Yeah. Like this is this is insane when we're putting up some of the wrong some of the wrong candidates. So I was the, the but the problem is those folks, which is, I can think, is majority of the country, because I do believe, and I've seen it up close and personal in, in my old congressional district, I'm seeing it now, way more unites us as a country than divides us. And the folks that believe that 
are not necessarily engaged and active in the primary process. Only 23% of Americans uh, vote in the primaries. Uh, that split right down the middle. And so activating those groups. And so when I talk about my product market fit of my startup company, it's those people that believe we're better together. And, and what, what I know that it's working is when I do events in New Hampshire, even in Iowa, uh, a good part of the crowd are independents or Dems that are sick and tired of Joe Biden and the direction the Democratic Party is going. And so, so the question becomes, you know, by, by winter, can we get enough of those people together? So I am mm-hmm. firm in the notion that people and even Republican pr- uh, primary voters uh, want things, want problems to be solved. And if you want to deal with the border, if you want to deal with fentanyl, if you want to address this new Cold War with China, if you want to make sure we have a thriving economy at a time when AI is going to be upending every industry, if we want to have safe schools, if we want to have world-class education, then guess what? We got to freaking win. Well, the, and so, the so, only way we win is to beat is to beat Democrats. Well, look, look I – I believe that I operated for a long time under a uh, under a questionable uh, and now I think reg- regrettable uh, misconception about Joe Biden. Um, I thought that he was a a very um, I thought he was a a you know a centrist Democrat who wanted to bring people together uh, and had a an inclination toward bipartisanship, um, and that he was. Uh, fundamentally an empathetic uh, and caring individual um, in a way that I found to be admirable, you know, in terms of, of, uh, you know, the, the way that, you know, his qualities have have sort of gone through different iterations over the years, you know, meaning that as much as he had these flaws and how I disagree with him on any number of issues from, you know, guns to abortion to foreign policy, you know, that I thought that he was a nice classy guy. I don't think that anymore. I think that I was wrong about him. And the reason that I think that is because of the way that he reacted to and has continued to uh, react to everything that happened in the downfall of Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was just a, a signature moment of neg- of a negative, uh, a, bl- a, a black mark on, on America's history in terms of the way that we left um, the way those soldiers were treated, the way their families were treated, the way that the stories have come out about how he personally interacted with those families. Um, it's been something that frankly depresses me because I, I don't know, I, I don't know about you, but I always like presidents to succeed, you know, mm-hmm. even, even if they are, uh, you know, at odds with me, you know, uh, uh, philosophically, I remember a conversation I had once, you know, about uh, Barack Obama back in uh, like 2010, 2011, where I said, you know, I I don't want him to get reelected, but I also don't want the conditions of the country to be such that he couldn't get reelected. You know, meaning mm-hmm. you don't want that kind of racial strife or whatever that would that would prevent that kind of thing. Um, and then I look at the current presidency, and I just don't have any confidence in it. I don't think that he's putting America's interests, uh, you know, front and center. I'm not sure he's even aware of what he's doing. What do you say to a voter who expresses that kind of feeling? Because I don't think that I'm alone 
in feeling yeah. that way about this presidency. If, if you feel that way, go to hurtforamerica.com and help, <laughs> and help a brother out is, is, is my is my answer to that. But look, Ben, I think you're absolutely right. And, and it, look at some of the people that he has around them that are terrible. Uh, when you in, in what what Frazier, like I, I can make that argument. And, and the fact that that yesterday was the two year anniversary of that terrible withdrawal from Afghanistan, where 13 Americans were killed. And we still don't understand all the decisions that went into uh, the the, the withdrawal. And, and look, I, I would say uh, those problems began under the Trump administration and and, and was solidified under the, the Biden administration. The fact that there's probably still uh, thousands, <clears throat> low thousands of people that we supported that are there in Afghanistan. And guess what? We had a small footprint there. We were able to deploy and, and, and you know, there's, there's, you know, guess who the neighbors of Afghanistan are? China and Iran. It's nice to have a little footprint, you know, mm-hmm. where we can you know, to be used against both of those countries. Um, and so, so yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I also can say the same thing about the border. You know, every time, every time somebody there's a death on the border, you know, when when the Texas the Texas Department of Public Safety is involved, any deaths of any migrants coming here, whether it's illegally or legally, is unacceptable and it's sad, and we should be concerned about it. But there were 141 drownings last year. A hundred people died in Texas last month um, because of them coming in here illegally because of inhumane policies hmm. from Joe Biden, not anything the the governors along the border are doing. And so to me, that's some of the inhumanity of these policies that make absolutely no sense. So, so the person that believes that way, uh, Ben, you just articulated what the opportunity is for Republicans to get those independents and to get those Democrats that feel that way and to have a 2024 general election that's one of the most – we have a 2024 general election that's one of the most significant in our our, our country, mm-hmm. and but we got to have someone. We got the GOP has to elect someone who's not a jerk, who's not a racist, who's not a misogynist, who's not a homophobe, right? <laughs> like like if we do that, we're off to the races, and we could be having you know anywhere between 12 to 16 year conservative rule. So uh, second to last question, um, the the Will Hurd presidency. Uh, has begun. Uh, you are in week one of your presidency. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you change regarding our policy toward Mexico in sure. order to not just take on, but to defeat the cartels that are currently poisoning Americans, dealing with all this human trafficking, profiting from our border policies and the like? Uh, step one, stop treating everybody that comes into our country as an asylum seeker. Asylum is very specific. Asylum is real. It should be applied for. But when it gets abused, the people that really need it are the ones that get screwed. Um, two, you're going to treat human smugglers and narco traficantes, drug trafficking organizations, um, like terrorist organizations. We're going to be using national intelligence resources and tools to dismantle these networks. The difference between human smugglers and, and, and drug smuggling organizations from terrorism is that those the smuggling organizations have infrastructure that they have to use again. We have data on it. We have information on it. We should be working with our partners throughout Central and South America to dismantle that network 
using intelligence, and we need more than just DEA and the Office of, of Homeland Security investigations in this fight. I would also treat um, fentanyl as a weapon of mass destruction. Last year, it, it killed 109,000 Americans. We wouldn't let a dirty bomb in or the precursor elements of a dirty bomb into the country. Why are we letting a poison that's killing that is killing more Americans um, every single day? And then and then three, we would be having a serious look. Mexico is our number one trading partner. They need to start acting like that. Uh, the mm-hmm. bilateral relationship right now between the U.S. and Mexico is probably the worst it's ever been, partly because of the lack of engagement, partly because we ha- we don't have the right um, uh, folks in the country that are spending time, energy, and effort into a relationship that's important and make them realize and make the Mexican public realize that the the narcos – and the human smugglers are killing as many Mexicans as they are Americans, and this is a shared threat between our two people. Mm-hmm. Uh, last question. So, you know, uh, you have to bounce around all these different random places when you're running for president. Mm-hmm. You have to go to, you know, uh, little towns in Iowa. You got to go to the little towns in, in New Hampshire uh, and the like. Uh, and you have to, you know, spend time in places that you probably haven't really spent time in before, especially as a a congressman, you know, representing the, the, the border district in Texas. Um, what has been your your favorite little find, your, your place that you've come across uh, that just speaks to you in terms of the, uh, the <laughs> kind of, uh, I don't know, nostalgic nature of small town America uh, that, that takes these presidential stakes so seriously uh, and probably has someone, uh, someone in it who is a Will Hurd super fan? Look, like I can tell you the North country of New Hampshire is so beautiful. Um, It it is, it's like, you know, coming from South Texas, I'm just like, what what is this place? What is is this magical place? You know, I I haven't spent much time in there. Did you have to buy a puffy vest? (laughs) (laughs) You know, like it's, it's just, it's, 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 it's beautiful. Um, you know, I, uh, being in like the, the, the seacoast area of New Hampshire has been great. Uh, Des Moines is a cool, is a cool town too. Like I got it next time I'm there, I got to buy this shirt. It says Des Moines is French for the Moines. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I love that. I've also learned a few things, um, that, that we shouldn't be doing. Like, like I actually stopped at a place to get some breakfast tacos, mm-hmm. and being from being from the home of breakfast tacos, I learned oh, we shouldn't. No. Put, oh we, we shouldn't put goat cheese. <laughs> yeah, we we shouldn't put goat cheese on on breakfast tacos. <laughs> um, but but no, but like but like that's the part for me. That's the fun part, right? The mm-hmm. engagement with people, the fact that people care. I met this little kid. He was nine years old yesterday, and he was wearing a NASA shirt. And I was like, "Oh, you're gonna be a rocket scientist?" He's like, "Yeah." And he gave me this whole thesis about why we should be going to the moon, right? Like, like mm. it was, it was, it was, what it was, was, his, awesome. what, was his, what was his rationale? Well, he was talking about the, it's a competition with the Chinese, um, our ability to project back on 
you know, the, the terrestrial impact of the moon, uh, the ability to improve lift into f- deeper parts of space from the moon is a lot easier and cheaper than it is from Earth. And this, this guy was nine years old. Like, like it was, it was just amazing. And, and he, and he, and guess what? He asked his dad to come to this event because he had seen some of my stuff. Right. (laughs) Right. So, so, so for me, for me, that's the part, that's the part that has been absolutely wonderful. And, and look, when, 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 when the diff, when you start focusing on the difficulties of the task, right. When you think about those people, Right. When you think about the people that are like, I mean, look, they're just they're just working hard. They're trying to put food on the table, a roof over their head and take care of their family. Right. Like that's what powers me through. And, and to to get back to the first question you asked me, that's why I'm doing this. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's for those folks who who want to have a voice, who need a voice um, and who care about this experiment called America. Well, Heard, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Hey, Ben, always a pleasure, man. More of the Ben Dominish podcast right after this. My own perspective on this upcoming debate is that there's some something interesting going on as it relates to Vivek Ramaswamy. There was a memo put out by the super PAC uh, attached to uh, Ron DeSantis that made the point that uh, he needed to be attacked for a number of different reasons uh, by DeSantis, of course, but it also makes sense for other people to attack him as well. And I think you're seeing that in terms of some oppo dumps that are happening via the uh, the media and uh, some attacks on Vivek that have come out in the past couple of days uh, that seem to be anticipating that he's going to have a good performance in this upcoming first debate, which you can watch on Fox News on Wednesday, the 23rd. It's going to be an interesting situation because obviously the elephant in the room is the absence of the former president who has uh, taken the position that he's not going to do this debate. And he actually put out on a Truth Social post uh, that he would not be doing any debates. Uh, We'll see if he actually holds to that. One thing that I do think is going to happen is that Vivek is going to be his stand-in in a lot of ways uh, because he seems to appeal to a a similar set of voters, but perhaps people who want a a new face, a fresh face, you know, as opposed to returning uh, to Donald Trump for another go. Uh, and that's also something that I think is going to, you know, allow uh, a lot of the different folks on on stage to use him essentially as a proxy. You always have people who are the stalking horses or who are drafting off of other candidates. And one thing that happened in 2016 that a lot of people regret is that they held their fire on attacking Ben Carson because they were worried uh, both that it would look bad, but also that it would be uh, pointless because nobody really believed that he would ultimately be the Republican nominee. A lot of candidates I know regretted that at the end of the day. They felt that if they had attacked Carson earlier, then perhaps uh, the the situation would have been better for their uh, for their potential outcome. I'm not sure that that would have made any difference, but I do think that you look at uh, this current field and there's a lot of incentives for virtually everyone uh, to go after Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, DeSantis because he wants to use him as a proxy for Trump, Nikki Haley because she disagrees with his foreign policy, uh, and obviously the other candidates because they have records to defend uh, and uh, Vivek himself uh, is a, a newbie to politics who uh, you know barely even voted before uh, this uh, this uh, last couple of years and he is someone who you know really doesn't have the kind of record to defend uh, on politics and policy that a lot of these others do. 
So we'll, it'll be interesting to see who targets who on the stage in Milwaukee. Uh, but I certainly expect there to be a lot of arrows uh, flying in his direction, in part because he's already given uh, off the signs that he's going to be a very effective debater uh, compared to some of the other people who are in the mix. I'm Ben Dominich. You've been listening to another edition of the Ben Dominich Podcast. We'll be back with more to dive back into the fray. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. everybody, it's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.